another this week is Pashas Vaera. I really want to start by talking about Pashas Vayechi. Pashas Vayechi, as we know, is the only Pashas in the Torah which starts without a gap between the Pashas. Normally, between each two Pashas in the Torah, there's an empty line, and the new Pasha starts in the new line, we call the Pasha Psucha. Whereas when it comes to Vayechi, there's no gap between the end of Pashas Vayikash and the beginning of Pashas Vayechi. They follow each other with just one letter gap in between. And Rashi brings down from Chazal, why is Pashas Vayechi a Pasha Stuma? Why is the Pasha closed? There's no opening, so to speak. There's no gap in the Zephyr before it starts. And Rashi's answer is because in Pashas Vayechi we read about the Misa of Yaakov Avinu. And when Yaakov Avinu was Nifta, when he died, then it says, Nistamu Einayim Velibun Shal Yisrael. Then the eyes and hearts of Kai Yisrael became closed because of the Shibud, because of the Goddess. And the question which I'd like to ask, and I'm in good company because the number of Rishonim asked this question too, is why is the goddess beginning by the death of Yaakov Avinu? We know that that's not the case. We know that until all the Shvatim had died, the servitude didn't start. And if that's the case, what does it mean that the eyes and hearts of Klai Yisrael became closed with the death of Yaakov? Seemingly, at that stage, the Jews were still privileged citizens of Egypt. Yasef for the king was still alive. So why is that considered the beginning of the Shibut? Also, the language that their hearts and eyes were closed is an unusual way to describe the servitude, the suffering. What does Chazal mean with such an expression? And to answer that question, I really want to go to a passage even earlier. When the brothers come down to Mitzrayim and Paris invitation, so Yosef introduces them to the king. And they come to Paris and they say to him, I'm quoting from the Pasuk, We came to dwell here temporarily. Why? Because there's no pasture for the flocks of your servants near as Canaan. And therefore they asked, as in temporarily, due to the famine, if they would be allowed to stay in the land of Goshen. So Pare grants them their request, and they settle in the land of Goshen. And the years pass. And the famine ends. And the request that we only came here temporarily until the such time as the famine ends, well, the time is come and gone. And yet the Jewish people showed no signs of wanting to return to Eretz Canaan. Perhaps during Yaakov Avinu's lifetime, he didn't want to leave Yosef. Perhaps it was the older man, it was hard for him to travel back to Canaan. Okay, we can understand that. But after Yaakov Avinu dies, 
and all the Shvatim travel back to Canaan to bury him, then they're all happy to travel back down to Mitzrayim again. They don't show any interest in returning to Canaan. What happened? What happened when Klai Yisrael originally came to Mitzrayim as temporary visitors? They're only there as long as the famine is going to last. And yet, that changes. That changes, and we see Klai Yisrael settle in Mitzrayim with no hope and no intention of returning to Eretz Canaan. What caused that change? So Rabbi Sai, I want to talk about a topic tonight which I want to call the psychology of slavery. How do people become slaves? I'm not talking about the oppressor who enslaves people, but I'm talking about the victims, the slaves themselves. How do they become slaves? What changes Klai Yisrael from a proud, strong, independent people, successful, to being reduced to the shackles of bondage, to slavery? And let's describe a five-step process. The five-step process. The first step is what we've just been describing. And that is, Klai Yisrael come to a new country. And what we're going to see by Mitzrayim as being the, the first example of Klai Yisrael's being enslaved is something we're going to see repeated in every single time Klai Yisrael goes to Goddess. In that, in that way, we can call Mitzrayim perhaps the model that the Torah gives us for Jewish people in Goddess, but it's something which is going to get repeated in every subsequent Goddess too. And that is the first step, Klai Yisrael go down to Goddess. And as long as Klai Yisrael feel this is Goddess, we're here temporarily, and we want to return home. Our place is in Eretz Knan, or in Eretz Yisrael, then Klai Yisrael have no interest in becoming a part of the place or the country they're a part of. We're just here as visitors. The first step in Golos is when that perspective changes. And instead of considering the country that they're residing in as a temporary refuge, as a haven if one wants, one starts to see it as a place where they want to be. And the vision of Eretz Yisrael, of returning back to our home, gets dimmer, gets obscured. That's the first step of Goddess. We consider the foreign country to be our home. And that's followed by a second step. And the second step of Golos is when one starts to look up to the culture of the home country. One sees that the people there as being so advanced, the civilization as being so developed, 
and sees all the good points and all the mailas, so to speak, of the country where we're in. That's the second point. Kaya shall came down to Mitzrayim and he started to appreciate the hospitality of the Egyptians. And Egypt was the most developed country of its time. And they had the most successful economy and agriculture. And therefore, now that a person looks to the place he's in as home, so the person starts to admire all the points he finds praiseworthy about the culture, about the civilization that he's part of. Yeah, the Jewish people appreciated Mitzrayim. Just like later on, we find the Jewish people admiring the, the miners of Spain in the time of the Rishonim. Or the Jewish people talking about the virtues of Germany in the time of the Achronim. That's the second stage. And once it's really come to a stage where Klai shall begin to admire the culture around them, the people in whose land they're living, then that's followed by the third stage. And the third stage is one sees the home culture, the host nation, as being stronger, superior, better, whatever other language one wants to use. You know, in Kabbalah we have a list of different minors that there are. And when a person makes a mistake, so they go through these different levels one by one. And the mistake gets repeated on each level. So when Klai shall go wrong, the first step, that we call a mistake in the dust. The intention, the plan, what God should have been as a temporary point of call, as just a stop on the road back to Eretz Israel, changes into, and change, it's a change in one's dice. One now seems to look, dice, look at the goddess as one's home. And then it's followed by the second middle, which is the chesed. And seeing the value and seeing the good and admiring and trying to copy the culture of the goyim to see the chesed l'omim, so to speak, as something good, the righteousness of the nations as something which is praiseworthy, that's the second mistake. And then the third middle is called Gvura. And there is once Arun's already, so to speak, paid lip service and, see, and extols the virtues of the host country. The next point is once one begins to see how strong it is, how superior it is, how powerful it is. And the Jews seem to feel, start to feel themselves as being, so to speak, less important than the natives. And the people whose land they're part of. 
they aspire to try and be like the citizens of that country. They see them as more strong, they see them as more successful, as more cultured, whatever it's going to be. They see them as better. And this is something which, as we know, history is repeated time and again throughout history in every goddess we've been to. In Egypt, after the first mistake that Klaishal made, that is, they wanted to stay in Egypt, so they started to admire Egyptian culture. And then the third step, they start to feel the Egyptians are better. And they want to be like Egyptians. And they start to change to try and match the Egyptians. At that stage, the scene is already set for the fourth step. And that is, when we get become enslaved by the Goyim. When they rule over us. We've prepared it for our psychology for ourselves. By seeing them as being better, stronger, superior. So then when the, the, their attitude shifts towards us and they start to rule over us, we accept that subjugation. Let's look at something interesting. Paran and his advisors had a council of war to discuss the Jewish question. And the threat was that they're so numerous and they're so powerful and they're so many that they could overcome Egypt. They're going to fight against us. And so Paran and his advisors decide they're going to subjugate the Jewish people. And these people who are so powerful and so numerous and so many, there isn't the slightest word of resistance. There isn't the slightest uprising against them being stripped of their status, of their possessions, of being turned into slaves. Don't you think the Jews could have launched a pretty effective civil war? We could have stood up for their rights, but there was nothing. Why? Because when psychologically they got to the stage that Egypt is strong, and Egypt is powerful, and we're not, so then they're not in the mindset to try and fight Egypt. It's too strong. It's too great for us. It's too powerful for us. That's the psychology of becoming a slave. And just like when the Jews were successful and powerful in Spain. But when Spain turned against the Jews, so either they hid or they fled. And same thing everywhere else. They had already conditioned themselves to thinking that the culture they're part of is so much more powerful than them. They don't stand the chance of resistance. Therefore, Pharaoh feels let's subjugate the Jews and the Jews get subjugated. And that's the fourth stage. They're stripped of their rights, of their possessions, of their freedom. They turn into slaves. What can they do? They're victims of a culture, of a country which is stronger than them. But there's still a last point. And that is, a person can be subjugated in body, 
but his mind is still free. And he might be enduring the indignity or the persecution of slavery, but he can still dream of redemption. He can still hope for a time where he'll be freed from slavery. He'll return to his former status. The ultimate slave is a slave who's been so crushed that he's lost all hope. His ability to look forward to a better time is taken from him. He's so crushed by slavery that he can't imagine any future besides for slavery. And that's when it's not just the slavery of a person's body, it's also become a subjugation of their mind. That's when a person is a complete slave. Now let's follow the story of Mitzrayim and see how the Jews went through these five levels. And that's the apostle we began with. When Yaakov Avinu died, that should have been the cue for the Jewish people. Now is the time to move back to Eretz Canaan. You are only here temporarily. You are only here because of famine. And maybe for Yaakov's life in Mitzrayim, stop the famine. Maybe because Yaakov himself couldn't move back to Eretz Canaan. But when Yaakov Avinu dies, now is your chance to move back to Eretz Canaan. You don't want to remain in Egypt. And yet, the Jewish people didn't move back to Canaan. They stayed in Egypt. Nistumu a name velibun shal Yisrael. Their eyes were blinded. The eyes which should have seen to the future of looking back to Eretz Yisrael where they wanted to be, those eyes, that perspective, was shit was blocked. They now look to stay in Mitzrayim. That was the first level of the Shibut. And the second level of the Shibut, when it's not just staying in Mitzrayim, it's a look to see how good the Mitzrayim culture is. How the Mitzrayim have been extended such a welcoming hand to them and how advanced Mitzrayim is. And the Jews frequented, that we see in the Chazal, all the places where the Mitzrayim were. They didn't want to stay apart from them in Goshen. They wanted to connect. They wanted to learn from them. That's the second stage. And the third stage is when the Jews started to change their own identity to be like Mitzrayim. Which means they saw the Mitzrayim as better, stronger, more advanced, more worth it, whatever ones we want to call it. And therefore, they didn't just appreciate Mitzri culture, they tried to battle themselves to the Mitzri culture. And they're willing to lose their own identity, so to speak, as Jews to become Mitzri. That was the third stage. And at that stage, Paroi is able to enslave them. When they already feel that they are less able, less powerful, 
to stand up to Mitzrayim, so the Mitzrayim can enslave them. And they were enslaved. But, on the other hand, when Moshe Rabbeinu comes, and he comes with the message of Hashem, that the Jewish people are going to be redeemed, it says the people, they bow down. They've been looking forward to this. They've been anticipating and awaiting that redemption. And Moshe and Aaron go to Paray with that message of redeem the Jewish people. And Paray's answer is, I'm going to add to your workload. I'm going to make your condition so difficult that it's going to crush any thought you have of coming out. And that's what he did. He made them find their own straw. He increased the quota of their labor. And it had that effect. The Jewish people were so crushed by the, by the intensified slavery that when Moshe comes the second time with the message of Gola, they weren't even able to hear it. The possibility of redemption, the hope for the future, have been destroyed in them as well. That's when they get to the fifth and final level of slavery. If you read autobiographies, memoirs of the Holocaust, it's frightening how similar the process there was. Already the Akronim spoke about the danger of Jews thinking of the countries of Europe as their homeland. Admiring the host culture, the manners, the etiquette, whatever other qualities they saw admirable. And then afterwards feeling less in in the presence of something they felt stronger, greater, bigger than them. And that provided the background that there was Kimat no resistance. And the Jews were able to be enslaved, incarcerated, tortured. And as survivors wrote, they got to the stage there was no hope. They couldn't imagine they would ever come out of it. They had gone to the final level of slavery. Like we said, that even a person in their mind, in their imagination of the future, is enslaved. And at this stage, HaKadosh Baruch comes with his message of Gola. And at this stage, HaKadosh Baruch comes with the lesson to Moshe, not just I'm going to take them out of Mitzrayim, but a step-by-step point of how he's going to take them out of Mitzrayim. And let's look together at the Pesukim. And Hashem says to Moshe, Go and tell Klai Yisrael, the first point. The first expression of Gola. I'm going to take you from under the Sivlis, under the burdens of Mitzrayim. The last stage of the goddess when they had been weighed down by that extra heavy slavery, by those burdens which crushed any hope for the future in them. And the first step I should told them is I'm going to take you out of those burdens. You're no longer going to get tormented by that same intense slavery. That was the first step of the Gola. 
that stage, Kaisra can regain health. And then the next stage, I'm going to save you from slavery. Not just the crushing, back-breaking labor, but from being slaves. From being subjugated. From losing your possessions and your identity and your property. And your freedom. That was the second stage. But, even if we're free from slavery, there was still the stage before that where the Jewish people considered the Egyptians to be superior to them, power, more powerful than them. So Hashem says the third step. I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm, a manifestation of Hashem's strength. You respected the strength of Egypt, the power of the Egyptian army of Paris soldiers. Hashem says, I'm going to show you to real strength. You'll see how the, the Makas are going to break Mitzrayim. How Paranese soldiers can't stand up to the greatness of Hashem. To the power that Hashem is going to show them by Yamsuf. And then that, the value of that, is it's going to break in the Jewish people the fear of the strength of Egypt. And you see, until Yamsuf they felt that way. When they knew the Jews, were, when the Jews knew that the Mitzrayim were chasing after them, they panicked. What are we going to do? The idea of... But who said they're stronger than us? No. They were still holding by that feeling of the Mitzvah was stronger. And if they're going to attack us, we lost. They still had that mentality of being subservient to Egypt. And the greatness of Yamsuf showed decisively, decisively, the Mitzvah have no power. HaKadosh Baruch has the power. That's for Gaalti I'm going to redeem you by Pizraya In a way where Hashem is going to manifest power that you won't be feel so to speak less important, less powerful than Mitzrayim. You won't respect the Egyptians for their power. Hashem will destroy their power. And then the fourth step. Where Kla Israel had looked admiringly to what the Mitzri culture what the Egyptian nation could offer, that is another mistake. There's nothing to admire in foreign fields. Hashem says, I'm going to take you for me as a people. That's what's important. That's what's admirable. That's what we look up to. We don't value and we don't respect and we don't admire other cultures. And then lastly, the end point of the Gaula is when it rectifies the original mistake that Yisrael made. And I'll bring you back to the land that you meant to be in. The land I promised to always. That's the final stage of the Gaula. That reverses the trend which began when Yisrael saw other countries as their homeland looked up to the milers of the host nation, felt that they were less important, or unable to, so to speak, consider themselves an equal to the country they were part of, until they gradually felt subservient 
to the the people that they was in whose land they were residing, and that gave those people the ability to overcome them, to rule over them, to enslave them. More and more and more. The principle of Goela, the Kaddish Baruch starts from that last stage and brings Klayashal out of the back-breaking labor to the extent that they can again look forward to a better future. Out of the slavery, he shows his true strength which breaks in the minds of Klay Yisrael the feeling of Mitzrayim is stronger than us. He returns us to being Hashem's nation. The nation which doesn't respect any other nation. The nation which understands this is the ultimate. And lastly, the final step of coming out of Goddess is our return to Eretz Israel. And yes, this is the marshal for all other goddesses. Places where people feel comfortable in Godless, look up to the culture around them, and then begin to see it stronger than them. Something which they would never be able to overcome. The Jews didn't think it would be possible to fight against Spain in this golden era, to stand up to Germany when it was the most developed nation in Europe, to confront America today, the starting point is that we're weak and they're strong. And that just sets the ground for the next step. And that is that puts the plastic, the power in the hands of the goyim to subjugate us. Ka'ula is when HaKadosh Baruch shows us that he's stronger. There's nothing to be afraid of. The Goyim when Hashem is with us. There's nothing to look up to by the Goyim. But we are the nation of Hashem. And there's nothing to keep us in Chutz Laaretz when we have the possibility to return to Eretz Yisrael. Fajr Sva'era describes the final stage of Klaishul sinking into the lowest level of slavery where even hope wasn't an option. Even their minds were enslaved. But also details the process of Gola, where Hashem brings us back from all these stages to be the nation free in Eretz Israel that Hashem wanted us to be.